So please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, and last week we ended in verse 9. So for today, let's start, if we may, in verse 10. Because I have kept the word of my patience, also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which are come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. The address is made to the church of Philadelphia, a great church which started around 1750 and ended around 1900. And during that time, you've got some great preachers, Moody, Booth, Wesley, Whitfield, and those men turned the world upside down. On top of that, they were Bible believers. They're very much of the belief that the Lord gave us his word and was able to preserve his word. And that makes sense that if he's able to inspire it, he will be able to preserve it. And I'm referring to, of course, the King James Bible. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also keep thee from the hour of temptation. Temptation, tribulation, trial, testing, concerning the great tribulation. And this term for hour doesn't mean a literal 60 minutes. It denotes a brief period of time. For example, I've been saved 14 years. Half of that is seven. And in eternity, seven years means very little. 14 years means very little. So when it says, I also keep thee from the hour of temptation, it simply means that he will keep those that believed on his word from the great tribulation. This is a great truth which is overlooked by many people. On top of that, it says how this will come on all the world. And I mean all of the world. Much like the flood back in the day of Noah was a global flood. And here the great tribulation will be a Global tribulation. Because I have kept the word of my patience, I also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. So this is a great scripture for the pre-tribulational rapture. And again, this is addressed to the Church of Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. But of course, the Church of Philadelphia has been and gone. We are now in the Church of Laodicea, which we'll look at this morning. But for those that believed that God gave us his word and has preserved his word, they are promised that they won't go through this situation, this hour of temptation, this hour of tribulation, this hour of trying and testing. And yet, if you go back to chapter 2, concerning the church of Thyatira, from verse 20, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because I suffer that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols and I gave her space repentance for fornication and she repented not behold I cast her into a bed and them that committed adultery with her in the great tribulation except they repent of their deeds and I will kill her children with death and all the church shall know that I am he which searched the reins and hearts and I give unto every one of you according to your works so you got two churches You've got the church of Thyatira, which was flirting with this woman, Jezebel, the whore of Rome from chapter 17. And as a result, her sons and daughters are going to be cast into the great tribulation, which means they're not saved. They do church. They do religion. They pretend to be religious when they should be regenerated. And here the Lord says how he will kill her children 23 with death you've got two churches 
One condemned and one commended. And the difference is that one holds to the Bible, the Philadelphia church, and one holds to tradition. One thinks that they are a cut above the rest. Go back to Revelation chapter 3. And I'll come back to that in a moment. Look at verse 11, please. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Now you can receive a crown by your works, by your holiness. And you can also lose your crown by your lack of works, by your lack of holiness. But praise the Lord, you can't lose your salvation. 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out, and I write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I write upon him my new name. Four times he says, my God. And when you read Revelation, you see very clearly that Christ is still very much being presented as a servant of the Lord. Yes, he's in glory. Yes, he is our current high priest, very much going about his father's business, interceding for us, and yet he's still being pictured as a servant of the Lord. It's only after we get into chapters 4 to 19 and beyond do we see the Lord in a different light. But for the first probably two chapters, chapters 2 to 3, specifically, he is pictured as a servant of the Lord. Him that overcometh, verse 12, him that is born again, him that has appropriated the atonement, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Third heaven, not here on the earth. And he shall go no more out. A great picture of intimacy. And I write upon him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God. Which is New Jerusalem. Specifically for the church. Which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I write upon him my new name. So he will write his new name on you. And you are told from Chapter 2.17 He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Tim overcometh, will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I'll give him a white stone, and the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. So you get a new name once you are in the third heaven, and on top of that you get his new name written on you, inscribed on you. But the description of my God gets flagged up by... Islamists and those that don't hold to the deity of Christ to somehow suggest that Christ is inferior to Almighty God. And you keep your hand in Revelation chapter 3 and go to Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, from Hebrews chapter 1, you get a chance. Look at, I think it's verse 8. Hebrews chapter 1. Take a look, please, at verse 8. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. And did he get that? But unto the Son he saith, Who's he? The Father. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. God the Father is speaking to God the Son, and he is referring to God the Son as God. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Nine. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. God the Father is referring to God the Son as God. And God the Son 
over in, I think it's Psalm 2 from memory, refers to the Father as God as well. Go back to Revelation chapter 3. And I write upon him the name of my God, Jesus speaking, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I write upon him my new name. So yes, my God is referred to uh, four times, Christ referring to the Father. But go back to Hebrews chapter 1 and Psalm chapter 2 and also Psalm 110 and John chapter 10. You've got Christ affirming how the Father and he are one. Not one in the sense of being the same person, but one in the sense of sharing the same unity, the same attributes. Verse 13 from Revelation chapter 3. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Always remember, please, that this book, the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse, was written, first and foremost, to seven literal churches in the first century. And therefore it's imperative for those of us which are reading it today, many centuries later, to try and appreciate what they must have thought when they first got their hands on this incredible book. And I am a semi-sensationalist, and I will say that because... When I read these books in conjunction with First Peter, Second Peter, and First John, Second John, Third John, James as well, I'm very much aware that a full-blown dispensationalist will take these books, Revelation two, and apply it doctrinally to those in the tribulation, or spiritually uh, to the early church from Acts two up until the end of Revelation twenty-two. But for me, as a semi-dispensationalist, like I say, I don't want to do that i want to read these books and try and take as much doctrine as i can and apply it to those of us living today he that hath an ear he that is receptive he that is walking in fellowship with me let him hear what the spirit holy ghost saith unto the churches you can't avoid it can you this is addressed to the churches first century churches and yet as we go through revelation this will open up And again, like I said last week, these churches, yes, they were literal, first century churches, and yet the message is not just given to the church, or the seven individual churches, but the message is given to the body of Christ throughout the next 2,000 years, and that is what we call double application. But let's keep reading on. Verse 14, please. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know the works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou art cold or hot. Laodicea, meaning the people, Sybarites. And we live in a generation today where people have rights, as do animals. In fact, children can divorce their parents, which was unheard of just 50 years ago. And this church, Laodicea, will start around 1900 and take us right up to the rapture of the church. And out of the seven churches, this is the most liberal, the most wicked. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. These things saith the Amen, 14, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And the JWs come along, and they say, there you are, you see, Jesus was created. He is a created God, no. Uh, Christ is spoken of over in Colossians chapter 1, in the context of being preeminent when it came to the lord creating everything he made everything through jesus christ and by jesus christ jesus christ isn't a created god jesus christ is eternal and the jw 
gets a hold of this piece of scripture, reads it, thinks that Christ is a created God, a begotten God, lowercase g of course, and they trust that and go to hell. I know thy works, 15, that thou art neither cold nor hot, dangerous. I would thou wert cold or hot. You come across a Christian who is lukewarm and continues to be lukewarm, you've got a problem. And I'll say this, that I've been reading this piece of scripture over the last few days, even this morning, before the service began, trying to work out what to do with this piece of scripture, also from verse 16. In fact, I'll come back to verse 15 in a moment. Look at verse 16, please. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And I've been trying to work out what to do with this, because if you sat down with somebody who holds to conditional security, they will say, there you are, you see. If you don't live it, you lose it. And if you speak to somebody who holds to eternal security, they will spiritualize this. I know thou works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. Of course. Imagine having a cup of warm water on a hot summer's day. It's somewhat repulsive. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, in a perpetual sense, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, whatever you do with this piece of scripture, what you can't avoid is how serious this is. Because you are lukewarm and you're happy to remain lukewarm and you won't repent for being lukewarm and the Lord has sent you adversaries like he did to Solomon back in the Old Testament, like he did to the Corinthians and that particular chap who was sleeping with his mother. Because thou art lukewarm, because thou art carnal, because thou art doing your own thing, because you aren't walking with me, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I will vomit you out of my mouth. And I'll say this, that although this is addressed to the angel from verse 14, it clearly is concerning the church, the church of Laodicea. And I will say this, that what this isn't saying is if you're saved and you stop living for the Lord, that you're going to lose your salvation. What it's exactly saying is that for such people to be described in such a condition presents them, as far as I'm concerned anyway, as being unsaved. False brethren, Matthew seven twenty one to 23. And yet even that doesn't quite do justice to the text. I don't claim to have all of the answers. And like I said, I've been looking at the, uh, my reference Bibles over the last few days, even up until this morning, and even they don't know what to do with this particular verse. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So they are professing to be saved, and yet they are lukewarm. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That best, I will say this, that this is aimed probably at somebody who's not saved, and therefore, as a result, will be damned, will be thrown into the lake of fire. On the other hand, if this is in reference to a saved person who is doing their own thing, has become lukewarm, like the Corinthians, for example, or Ananias and Sapphira, perhaps, Acts chapter 5, then he will spew you out of his mouth. And yet again, that doesn't do justice to the text, because it is a picture of rejection. To spew somebody out of the Lord's mouth, to vomit a person out of the Lord's mouth, is a picture of rejection. But let's keep reading on, and maybe I'll come back to that verse. Verse 17, please. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that shame of thy nakedness do not appear. 
anoint thine eyes with salve, that thou mayest see. Keep your hand there and go to Isaiah 55. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. A very legal term. I counsel thee. Does a counsel have anything to say? I counsel thee. I advise of you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. There was an account back in the day of D.R. Moody, who was a great preacher, and D.R. Moody would preach very fast, like I do. He would speak very fast, and on one occasion, he was preaching so fast at a particular event that he had two stenographers trying to keep up with him. And after his preaching, a guy came up to him and said, Hey, I've heard you preaching over the last hour and a half, and I counted 85 grammatical errors in what you were preaching. And old Moody stuck out his tongue, and he said to him, you see this tongue? And the man said, yes. And he said, this tongue is used for the glory of God. What's your tongue used for? That's a good point. Sometimes we as Bible believers make mistakes. We uh, use the wrong type of words or we speak too fast or we don't explain something as clearly as we should do. And that's something that we are all responsible for. And if you're like myself, speaking very quickly, trying to cover a lot of ground in a brief period of time, you will make mistakes. But go back to what it said to you. Moody was using his tongue, his mouth, for the glory of God. Whereas most of his critics were not. And the same is true of my critics. But from Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come into the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Very much a paradox. Go back to Revelation Chapter 3, 18, Jesus speaking. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire. Now there are two types of gold. You've got fool's gold. You've got counterfeit gold, if you will. And you've got real gold. Gold which, of course, is picturing deity. Picturing your salvation. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire. Now, of course, you know you can't purchase salvation. Salvation's a free gift. Let's keep reading on. That thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Anoint thine eyes with the eye salve, that thou mayest see. Because thou sayest, 17, I am rich and increased with goods, and I need of nothing. Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This church thought they had it all, and yet in reality they had nothing. They may have been physically rich, like today's churches are, big pews, big swanky cars, big mansions, Preaches on seven-figure salaries, and yet they are spiritually bankrupt. That's what the Lord says, to buy gold of me tried in the fire. And took you over to Isaiah, and I'll read it again quickly. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Go to First Peter, please. First Peter chapter 1. Some of the great preachers, like Moody, like Booth, like Wesley, like uh, Mordecai Ham, and uh, Harry Rimmer, guys such as that, believed the word of God. They were King James Bible believers, and as a result, they were blessed. And if you are a King James Bible believer, you are blessed as well, and I believe you are promised the rapture as well. First Peter chapter 1, look at verse 7, please. That the trial of your faith... Being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Go back to Revelation, please. 
So I will say this and try and explain these somewhat difficult verses that you need the right type of gold, which only comes from Jesus Christ. On top of that, you need white raiment, 18, which will cover your shame. It's clearly in reference to your fellowship with the Lord. Imputation comes as a gift of God, but your relationship, your practical standing with the Lord can fluctuate. And as a result, you become lukewarm, 15 and 16. And as a result, if you don't deal with it, he will vomit you out of his mouth. And on top of that, you will arrive naked, 18, without the right clothing. And as a result, people are going to see your shame. The nearest I can get to really understand these verses is to point you to Matthew 22, where there's an account of somebody arriving in eternity, the great white throne, and he's not wearing a wedding garment. And the Lord says, what are you doing here? How did you get in here? And it says how he was speechless. And the scripture says to bind such a person and cast him into outer darkness. It's a picture of somebody not trusting Christ alone to save them, not being given imputation. And no more than that. Let's keep reading on. Uh, Verse 19, please. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So there's a call to do something. There's a call to check yourself out. As many as I love, that's positive. I rebuke and chasten. That's positive too. He hasn't given up on these people. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So if they are carnal, the call goes out to repent. If they're unsaved, the call goes out to repent, to get saved. 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. This is normally used by evangelists to get people saved. And they say that Christ is knocking at the door of your heart, which is partly true. But in the context, this is in reference to an apostate church. This is in reference to Christ outside of the apostate church looking in to what is going on. This is a picture of Christ being excluded from the apostate church. Laodicea, once again, means the people, human rights, civil rights. People have rights. The Lord has no rights. We're going to run the church our way. We're going to exclude Christ from our church. That's what the context is all about. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Christ is knocking at the door of the church, the apostate church. If any man hear my voice, or woman, and open the door, you think of uh, Luke 15, the prodigal son, how he came to himself, and he went back to his father, and the father ran to him, and clothed him, and celebrated his return. I will come into him, and will sup with him. Fellowship, you can't miss it, third heaven, and he with me. But you have to open the door, and you have to receive him in. 21, to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my father in his throne. When you get saved, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. To him that overcometh, to him that is born again, to him that has appropriated the atonement, 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 5, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, still future, even as I also overcame. Christ is the author and finisher of our faith, and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So finally got two calls to repent. The first call is to get saved. If you're not saved, 15 and 16. And the second call is to repent and get back into fellowship. 
if you've strayed from the Lord. So 22 verses from Revelation chapter 3, and it would appear that each chapter is running to around 60 minutes, which will give me 22 hours if that continues up until the end of the book of Revelation, which will probably give me, I guess, 12 months in total from beginning to end to finish this great book. Just a couple of things to add before I sign out and say that from uh, chapter 2, I gave you the reading concerning Thyatira, putting up with Jezebel, this false prophetess, which was seducing the Lord's people, and they are condemned for putting up with fornication, not just physical fornication, but spiritual fornication, like priestly prostitutes, like sodomites. And if you get a chance, read 1 Samuel 2.22 and 1 Kings 15.22. And there you get a picture of Eli, the high priest, who had two reprobate sons that were sleeping with women outside of the temple, and they lost their lives as a result of that, and so too did Eli. Also Samuel, the great Samuel, had a couple of unsaved sons, which were also wicked. And that must have been a great uh, problem for Samuel to deal with, a great uh, weight around his neck, which just goes to show that you may be saved, but your kids may not be. And that can really pull you down. So, Chapter 2, 20 to 23, pictures those that are messing around with fornication, spiritual or physical, and as a result, they're going to be punished. But the church of Sardis, 3 verse 8, has been rewarded for keeping his word, being the King James, of course. And for those that didn't keep the King James, or for those that haven't received the King James, or for those that make fun of the King James Bible, they are going to be forced to fall at the feet of those of us which are saved and are going to be made a spectacle of. In fact, I'll read it to you from verse 9, Revelation 3, verse 9. Behold, I make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. So if you are King James, if you are defending the King James, if you are constantly being ridiculed for being a King James Bible believer, not only are you rewarded from the Lord, which is going to partly picture you being raptured, but on top of that, those that ridicule the King James, those that make fun of it, are going to be forced to come and worship before your feet. Verse 9, somewhat of an interesting thought to consider for today. So I will leave you with that thought, and this has been a End Times Coming Radio production, a live recording, looking at Revelation chapter 3. And like I say, when it comes to verses 15 and 16, I'm not really sure what to do with those verses. Um, I'm not going to wing it. I'm not going to take a guess. All I will say is that the inference here is that if you remain lukewarm and never get back into fellowship with the Lord, he will spew you, completely spew you, vomit you out of his mouth and that's not a that's not particularly uh, pretty to think about whatever you do with that it's pretty uh, severe but 19 take heed as many as i love and i reckon that's in reference to 15 16 17 and 18 i rebuke and chasten so that shows me that he's not completely through with such people and yet if you want to lean on 15 and 16 uh or take that to be something positive, that's up to you. I personally wouldn't want to go there. I think it's too flimsy. I don't see much hope there. I just see judgment. 
Be zealous therefore and repent. And I will leave you with that thought. Be zealous therefore and repent. Otherwise, you risk being spewed out of the Lord's mouth. Could be everlasting hell for you. It could be a loss of crowns and rewards. I don't know, but hopefully I'll never have to experience it. Next week, Revelation chapter 4.